You're listening to the voice of Rowan Prof Sports. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, Glassboro. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your host, WGLS-FM Sports Director, Danny Ryan. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. Danny Ryan here with Offsides here on this Monday, January 30th, 2023. We're getting close to February and March, and spring will soon be upon us as I'm joined here alongside Jack Miller, Justin Locke, and Aaron Hook for the Beginning of the week edition, top of the week of Offsides, our live professional sports talk show right here on RowanRadio.com channel 2. And it comes at a good time because we have a lot of football to debrief. Championship Sunday has come and gone, and we have a lot of results to really just talk about, debrief, some officiating to talk about, not only in the NFL but in the NBA. And so we'll get to that as we kind of get longer or later on in the show. And then we'll also talk about a few other rumors from around the NFL uh, a few offensive coordinators being hired, and uh, well, one of them was last year at least being heavily considered for a head coaching job. The other was a head coach, didn't last very long. We'll discuss a few quarterbacks, as I mentioned, some rumors, and then we'll get into NBA and the Saturday primetime games, more specifically uh, Embiid versus Jokic, obviously the Sixers and Nuggets, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Knicks versus Nets and end off with the Lakers versus the refs. If you watch that game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we'll disclose the top five as we get closer to that. But just about time I introduce or bring in my co-hosts for today's episode. Jack, we have a lot to debrief as Philadelphia Eagles fans. And, um, well, we're going to get right into it. I mean, a lot of hate was thrown in the Rowan Radio Sports Department group chat yesterday. And yes. um, it was a lot of a lot of Eagles haters. And we, yes. we have just <laughs> one across the glass wall in front of me. And we'll talk to Mr. Aaron Hook in just a few moments, but nice win yesterday. Obviously, a lot of people are saying put an asterisk next to it because it was Josh Johnson. Uh, Brock Purdy came in for Johnson once he was out and couldn't even throw the ball. So, you know, it was an easy win. There's no doubt about it. There's no sugarcoating that. However, at the end of the day, you play the game that's in front of you. A win is a win, and the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl with a 31-7 to victory over the San Francisco 49ers, who had the best defense in the league, basically. What was your initial reaction when you saw one Brock Purdy go out. I mean, I know we talked to Nick Rizzo. He said he, his mind was basically on cruise control. But your overall reaction and thoughts from this game? Once once Brock Purdy got out, I mean, you had to expect, like, oh, it's a, it's pretty much wrapped up at this point. Because you got Josh Johnson. I mean, he looked lost out there. So from my perspective, I'm like, okay, the Eagles are going to win this. But is it going to be – is the Eagles' offense going to collapse or is it just going to keep going on cruise control? Obviously, it went on cruise control. And – and uh, you gotta just—I feel bad for the 49ers because it's not the way that you wanna want them to go out. I mean, you lose your quarterback that has gone on a miracle run, at, like uh, on a 12, like it was like a long win streak. So, I mean, you gotta give credit to Brock, but just the fact that he went down like that in the NFC Championship game, and and just like that, I mean, it was just hard to watch. I mean, just as like. A sports fan. I mean, you wish that there was more of a fight in this game. I mean, not a lot of people. A lot of people probably just turned off the TV once you saw Brock go down, and pretty much didn't return. I mean, he did, but 
he couldn't even throw the ball. He the only ball he threw was a screen pass to McCaffrey. And it's crazy to think too that this injury is going to take him around six weeks to recover from it, just from a simple fumble from Hassan Reddick or a forced fumble, obviously. And so, I mean, Hassan Reddick was on a mission yesterday. Let's yeah. just put that out into the air. I mean, I was talking about it with you and Nick Rizzo just in the lobby a few seconds ago, but. If that happened to Brock Purdy after two pass attempts, what happens after four quarters of football? The same result if, you know, maybe if he's not knocked out of the game, he's going to get sacked a bunch of times because that was the trend that kind of was established early on. Justin, I'll go to you in a sec, but I have to hear from the culprit of the Philadelphia Eagles hate. New York Jets fan Aaron Hook. Mr. Hook, what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> it sounds like a police interrogation. <laughs> like, first of all, I, I, I would not classify myself as an Eagles hater. Okay, I actually respect the Eagles. Fantastic season. Um, the way they've turned it around uh, from the four-win season, you know, not all too long ago with the development of Hurts. It's actually been pretty fun to see. But like, you, you can't you can't deny that. And I was saying this on um, or before Anwan, like the caliber of of quarterbacks that the Eagles have played, a guy of Mahomes' level who they're going to face, obviously, um, in two weeks. All season, I don't think they've played a quarterback like that. I mean, unless you want to count, like, Aaron Rodgers, which that was all the way back in, what was that, week? I think that was in October. Yeah, week what? Uh, man, I don't even remember. We'll but get back week, to 12, week, 12, week 12. Week 12, okay. That was November 27th. So, wow. I mean, they put up 40 in that game, and they won it. So, that mm-hmm. just shows how good they are offensively, the Eagles. But, I mean, I'm saying, like, it, I think – the way the defense was able to just settle in from the get-go after Purdy went went down. I mean, again, like we've been saying it, even with Josh Johnson out there healthy, they were going to feast on him either way because he's a guy who's been around for a while. He's he's a slower guy, um, and he hasn't like been thrusted into a spot where he's actually been asked to like go out and win a game since he was playing for the Jets last year. Like you know what I mean? It's so the Niners really had no chance because, again, like Jack said, Purdy couldn't even throw the ball when he came back in, so they were just run, 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 and the game was over by that point. So. Yeah, and what you're saying is definitely true. Once Josh Johnson comes in, you're basically raising the white flag yeah. at that point, but they had no other choice. At the same time, though, and I kind of talked about it in the group chat last yeah. night when everyone was getting their initial reactions out, you can't discredit the win just because that happened to the team. You know, it's very it's, – it's unfortunate circumstances. It totally is. But you can't discredit – I think a lot of people are really – because of how they saw the easy route or how yeah. easy the Eagles got to the Super Bowl, they're discrediting the talent they truly have. And you're right. I mean, their schedule this year was quite easy. They went through the, Daniel Jones the easiest in the, first round. In the lead, but – They went through Daniel Jones in the yeah. first round, and he doesn't have a lot of weapons on offense. Right. And so you put those factors into consideration, you're completely right. But – I just think the disrespect has gotten to a point where people don't actually think the Eagles can beat a top-tier quarterback like well, that. Yeah. And we're going to see it in two weeks. They're going to compete like yeah. the best of them. I mean, you know, I, I think maybe something that has to do with it, too, is that the Eagles, you know, I mean, did not look like a completely dominant team out there. I mean, look, Miles Sanders gets into the end zone twice. Uh, you know, he played good. Um, but Hurts, I mean, he had some throws, especially early on when the game was still competitive. You know, obviously that throw to Devontae Smith was fantastic. Wasn't officially attached, but good job of the Eagles hurrying up to the line. Um, that was a great throw by him. But Hurts, at, at times when he was rolling out of the pocket, made some questionable decisions. So you're just thinking, like, if Mahomes is on, if mm-hmm. Mahomes, which he was against Cincinnati, 
still, like, the numbers he put up in that game yeah. with a high ankle sprain were just Yeah, I, I mean, ridiculous. And he's still making all the no-look throws and everything like that. Um, so if Mahomes is on, like, do the Eagles, you know, does Hurts have it in him to, to be able to fire back against a guy like a Mahomes who obviously is in a tier of his own? So I think as an Eagles fan, for you three guys, I think – you should be pumped up to try and prove that in two weeks because I, am. I think the rest oh of the team is is good enough. Obviously, the Eagles probably have the best roster in the lead. So, I mean, if you can go out and prove that, then you can shut everybody up. And Hertz played the best defense he will face all season long, even with the Chiefs coming up in two weeks. He played the best defense he had seen all season long, and that's what's going to happen when you play a defense like that. You're going to get a lot of pressure that forces you to make questionable throws, whether they're complete or not. It's going to force you to make decisions you don't typically make in a you know routine division rival game or a routine out of conference game. It's a lot more pressure on you, obviously, because the the rise of talent compared to the New York Giants or the Dallas Cowboys. And so, I do want to factor that into it at the same time. Yes, Hertz was not great. Didn't have a passing touchdown. Also, didn't have an interception. Only 142 passing yards. And to your point as well about can he you know if Mahomes is on just fire back. 100%. And we saw that in a few instances this year when his back was against the wall. But I think a lot of people don't think he can, and I think a lot of people don't think the offense can because they haven't seen them try to prove that. You know what I mean? They haven't yeah. seen them been put in that position where they have to fight for a game-winning drive against the league's best. Which I is get crazy. I mean, that's that just – again, the schedule – I mean, you said it. You play who's in front of you. You can't deny it. Schedule hasn't been all that rigorous. But, again, yeah. you beat who's in front of you. It's crazy that – in the Super Bowl, the Eagles are finally going to, like, have, like, I don't want to say, like, a real test, but it's, like, this is where they've got to prove it because they really haven't had a bunch of opportunities to do that. Yeah, and they're facing a team now in a tier of their own. You know, the Kansas yeah. City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes are always going to be separating in a tier of their own, and so we'll see what happens in two weeks. But the one thing that has always been a consistent within Philadelphia Eagles haters or even just doubters is the doubt of Jalen Hurts. It happened going into this season. Oh, it looks like a good team on paper, defense and offense. Hurts has the weapons, just going to be the quarterback. Can he prove it? He did that and much more. Nearly won an MVP this year if he doesn't get hurt. And so he's going to go with that chip on his shoulder into Arizona and say, hey, I didn't have the best of games in the NFC Championship. We still dominated. Let's show the world what happens when I do have a good game. This team is different. And I, and I will be honest, all bias aside, and I really, when I talk about Philly teams, I try to be as unbiased as possible. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to win that game. So, you're, so where's your confidence level at? Against the Kansas City Chiefs, yeah. you know, Mahomes is going to have two weeks to rest up, so that scares me a little bit with that ankle. Yeah. But I think the defensive line is going to aggravate that ankle at some point yeah. un- unintentionally. I just think you're going to get to him because he's not able to scramble the way he would like to. I don't know where he right. whipped that first down run out of last night with seconds left. Yeah. That was insane to watch right. after seeing him limping all game, but – I like our chances against a beat-up wide receiver core, a beat-up quarterback, and overall an offensive line that cannot stand against the defensive line through four quarters. And so that's why I'm confident in it. Justin, your initial reactions on yesterday's game and overall the chances for the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Of course, my reaction when Purdy goes down and Josh Johnson comes in, uh, I didn't even know Josh Johnson was on the roster. So he's been on a lot of teams. I think he has, if not the most teams – in a season, uh, not in season, in a, in a career. Yeah, that sounds about right. Honestly. So it, he's been bounced around for a while. I think he's like 36 years old. He came in to yesterday's game, but I mean, I mean, when it was seven to seven, I was honestly kind of scared because they they didn't look too good to start off that game. I mean, defensively they looked great, but offensively 
the passing game wasn't phenomenal. I mean, Hertz was 15 for 25, 121 yards, but no touchdowns, but didn't have an interception, so that's pretty good. But the ru- the rushing game was – I think they had four touchdowns rushing. So, uh, now, host for the Super Bowl, I do think that they can beat the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs, obviously, as Aaron said, going to be the real test because we, we haven't really played a great quarterback. I mean, but, again, our defense is it's not – We've been one of the best defenses in the league the entire year, and Reddick had a phenomenal game um, Sunday. So if him and Sweat and, I mean, Fletcher Cox, we have so many pieces on that defense that can easily just get to the quarterback, and Mahomes isn't as mobile as Hurts is or anything. So And now with the injury, he does have two weeks. I mean, he did get pushed out of bounds in that last play, so, I mean, it could have got a little bit rattled from that, and who knows, we'll see what happens. But I would say the Eagles do beat the Chiefs in Arizona two weeks. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would honestly be as inclined to say it might be a two-score game, not two touchdowns, but I would say a touchdown and a field goal definitely is realistic. I think a lot of people are underrating this team, and they're going to hear that in the next two weeks. It's going to be all over social media, and that's the beauty of it too. They're going to get so much extra motivation from just clowns speaking out of their you-know-whats all yeah. week, whether it's true what they're saying or not. It's going to motivate them, and so I'm excited to see what they'll do against this Chiefs, not only defense but offense as well. You have a defensive tackle who's getting 11 sacks. I mean, his job there is to try and stuff the run as much as possible and get a little bit of pressure on the uh, the pass dropbacks. But, he, you know, Javon Hargrave was outstanding this year. And two names you mentioned, Josh Sweat. And if Hassan Reddick comes out with the kind of firepower he came out with yesterday, I really do think that they can rattle Patrick Mahomes early. And that segues us perfectly to the Chiefs and Bengals game. The well, Kansas. Wait, before, before you go there. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. We got breaking news. So, uh, Brock Purdy is now out for six months with a torn UCL. Six oh, wow. months? Six months. Dude, so, he tore – that means he basically tore his elbow. Yeah. I and, saw, he, and he was playing in the game. Yeah. Right? I saw a report last night, and it was like, if it's a sprained UCL, truly, it's the torn. max is like six weeks. But now that it's torn six months wow. off of a forced fumble yeah. to his elbow – if that doesn't show you the kind of motivation Hassan Reddick was coming out with yesterday in his hometown, coming full circle for a chance to go to the Super Bowl, yeah. I don't know what will. That's I mean, just crazy. And you got to put this on the 49ers. I mean, the fact, like I, to- I told you this when we were talking with Nick Rizzo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the 49ers' fault because you put a, a backup tight end against Hassan Reddick, who could have been a defensive player of the year candidate. Arguably should have been. But. Yeah, but – and. The fact that you put him on a, a guy like Reddick is is pointless. Like he, you saw, he got right by him, and then he pretty much injured and got Brock Purdy out for six months. I mean, it's just kind of stupid from the 49ers. They had no plan for Reddick throughout the entire game. They didn't. They really had no one that could match up with him. They didn't put Armstead on him. It really was it was hard. Majority of the game for them to stop that many defensive linemen that have that talent. I think you know, as I've mentioned, I've been harping at home and really just been driving it in, This that's going to be the X factor for the Philadelphia Eagles. The secondary is good and well good enough to deal with, you know, a beat-up receiving core and an offense that's playing in the Super Bowl already, you know, nervous, looking to make plays. But when you can apply the pressure in the trenches to force mistaken throws or bad throws, I, I just think the Eagles are going to capitalize on those opportunities. And, I, you know, i got to give the man credit. Jonathan Gannon has had two great game plans two weeks in a row. But I'll say it again just because I'm a superstitious Eagles fan. If Jonathan Gannon plays the game right, those things will happen. That's a big if. Sometimes, yeah. you know, in the regular season he looked questionable, but I think he's gotten it together during the playoffs, and uh, 
We'll see what they can do against those Kansas City Chiefs or perhaps Kansas City referees in two <laughs> weeks as we transition to the Chiefs-Bengals game. The Jeez. Chiefs win 23-20 to over the Bengals on behalf of a game-winning field goal well, that was basically forced into action because of a late hit on Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. Now, there's been a little bit of controversy over this, uh, not only on social media, but a little bit in the sports department group chat. Was Mahomes, you know, he was a runner technically, but was he clear enough to be out of bounds to the point where, Joseph, I think his name was uh, Joseph Osai, 22-year-old guy for the, the Bengals, to the point where he shouldn't have made a play on him and shouldn't have pushed him out of bounds. Now, in real time, that looked so dirty. I don't know about you guys, if you were yeah, watching the game, it looked very dirty, especially with how they kind of like were thrown against the wall on the sideline. But then I watched it in real time, and I was torn because you can't let a game be decided on that. But if you're a Psy, you also, like, he kind of reached out, threw him to, yeah. to the, the, the out-of-bounds mark, and he didn't throw-throw him. He gave him a little shove. It was nothing crazy. It wasn't too aggressive. But the momentum of both the players just made it look so much worse. What are your opinions overall on how this game was decided by the referees with that shove of Patrick Mahomes? I mean, for me, like I was talking about this with uh, Shomer and Aiden before they went on and won. And he could have not extended his arms. The reason why it was called because he extended the arms. I mean, it was light. But, I mean, you still can't do that. He already has a foot out of bounds, mm-hmm. and it's the quarterback. So, obviously, it's a late hit. So, he could have just put his arms to the side and just kept running. But it's just the fact that he extended the arms is the reason why they got called. And I, I feel bad for Osai. I mean, that's a game that's going to stick for him for the rest it, of it his life. It was terrible to because, see him on the sideline. Because it's, he, it's not that he just also ruined the, the chances for the Bengals. He also injured himself in that play. So he screwed himself over. He screwed the Bengals over. And now he has to live with that moment for the rest of his life. I mean, it's heartbreaking to see for a young guy look like Osai to, yeah. to have a play like that in his arsenal already. And then... I don't know if you guys saw the video when the Bengals were walking back to the locker room. Um, oh, I saw Jermaine it. Pratt, number fifty-seven. Um, you know, I mean, like, all you know, as a player, he's a good player, and he said it. You could hear him. He said, "This is my last year." He's in a contract year. Big game. Yeah, he's a big-time player in the middle of that defense. I understand being frustrated, but to just, I mean, out loud, he just says it. He's like, "Why? Why did he hit the quarterback?" Yeah. He, this kid's a second-year player. Who, by the way, in the game looked pretty good coming off the edge. Um, he made a couple big plays in the fourth quarter. So this is a young kid in the biggest game of his life, like playing his butt off, and then you know, like for you to be a veteran guy and supposed to be a teammate after a loss like that. And obviously, he was crying on the sideline, and you had um, his teammate come over to him uh, and kind of console him and, and help him out a little bit. But like to do that is just. Like, come on, man. I thought really? that was such a classless move to be honest. Uh, yeah, with you. like I mean, you so like you mentioned, he was crying on the sideline, being consoled by a teammate. They they kept showing him. The cameras wouldn't get yeah. off him. I was like, Do you really have to show this kid? That's like, what I kept thinking in my mind. I mean, it was brutal to watch him in real time react to what he had just done. Yeah. Also probably reacting to the pain that was in his knee at the time as well. Yeah, exactly. And then you have the nerve to your own teammate after all of the the self um What's the word I'm looking for? All, all of just the the self reprimand. Rep, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but the self hatred in that moment, I guess you could say, yeah. the self hatred and the self dislike that he was exhibiting, and then to go in the locker room, like you said, and just rip into him viciously, that, that's classless in my opinion. That's a teammate. I get it. It's a sport. It's a very intense contact sport. At the end of the day, emotions flare. 
think before you say something to a guy who's 22 years old, and that just happened to and you. I, I mean, I don't want to, again, like, dead on him and, and just keep hammering it home, but it's like, you know, I'm pretty sure Jermaine Pratt missed a tackle or two on that last drive when he had a chance to bring a guy down. He may have been one of the two guys that uh, Isaiah Pacheco broke a run against late in the quarter, um, and then he ran up the left sideline for a big game. So, I mean, you know, I, everyone everyone makes mistakes. Obviously, no one's perfect, and – Look, I, I think for the Bengals, it's heartbreaking, yeah, but going forward, I think they're they're still in a pretty good spot. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you have Joe Burrow as your starting quarterback for years to come. You heard the quote that, you know, as long as I'm the starting quarterback, the prime or the championship window is as long as I'm the starting quarterback. That's what he said, and it really could not be more true with how the, you know, he's just a leader in that locker room, the confidence he exhibits, the talent, obviously, he exhibits. And a tough loss yesterday, especially after – what the Cincinnati mayor came out and did. That's the only reason I was kind of happy about the loss for the Bengals, <laughs> just to shut that guy and up. And Kelsey went off. Oh, that was mm-hmm. beautiful. And then he, <laughs> and during Mahomes' interview, he said a few explicits, and uh, yeah, that was completely <laughs> deserved as well. You don't All the trash talk, too, I feel like that affected Osai and, and his reaction after that play. I mean, there was so much that went into that game. The rivalry is growing, and it's better than ever between the Bengals and the Chiefs and the QB competition between Mahomes and Burrow. With that being said, we'll come back, talk a little bit more about the Chiefs and Bengals game. A few questionable calls in the fourth quarter that, you know, we talked about the one that decided the game, but a few more before that shot the Bengals in the foot pretty bad that got him into that position in the first place. So we'll break down all of those, get Aaron, Justin, and Jack's reactions on those, and move on to our next NFL segment. But before we go to break it's time to take a look at the wgls community calendar the samaritan center is a program that helps glassboro residents with economic difficulties by providing free food once per month you can give back to your community by donating food clothes or by volunteering your time email glassborofoodbank at gmail.com or visit online at glassborofoodbank.org for more information this community calendar is brought to you by rowan radio 89.7 wgls fm your source for community news and information. Don't go anywhere. More Monday edition of Offsides right after these messages. Can't get enough of the oldies? Join me, Greg May. And me, Maddie K. Every Saturday from 8 p.m. till midnight as we explore the top songs on the Billboard Hot 100 charts of yesteryear. You'll hear everything from the Bee Gees to the King of Rock and Roll, Chairman of the Board, and more. Each week features a special theme hour that'll have you rocking and rolling all night long. It's Saturday night at the oldies. Every Saturday at 8 p.m. Only on Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. <laughs> Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You're tuned in to RowanRadio.com and our live edition of Offsides right here on the station for the music that matters. My name is Danny Ryan. I am your host 
every Monday right here on RowanRadio.com Channel 2 for Offsides. I'm joined alongside Jack Miller, Justin Locke, and Aaron Hook as we break down a jam-packed weekend of sports action, more specifically football action in the National Football League. And let's pick up right where we left off. We're talking about the Chiefs and the Bengals and really how that game ended. We talked a little bit about that. Some questionable calls is what I foreshadowed before going to break, and I want to dive right into that really. We talked about the late hit and how that definitely decided the game and affected uh, a lot of people in you know either good or bad ways. If you're a Chiefs fan, good. If you're a Bengals fan, bad. But there were a few calls just in that fourth quarter alone that the refs, it almost looked like they were paid off. And I'm not going to sit up here and just say, oh, the NFL is rigged, blah, blah, blah. But it looked like those calls were just deliberately favoring the Chiefs in my eyes. And Justin, I'll go to you. If you were watching that game live, what was your reaction just seeing well, the first one that comes to mind for me, the third down play being rerun after it was a completion of Kelsey, it made it fourth and two. The officials came on the field and said, no, replay that down. We, it was too loud in here. We wanted to call a timeout, and he did try to call a timeout, but the play was already done at that point. What was your reaction just to that on top of a bunch of other pen- penalties against the Bengals? I do think – I don't want to say anybody is putting money on games, obviously, but the, the refs definitely in any sport always – sometimes tend to, I wouldn't say root for a team, but they always try to, I wouldn't say they root for the Chiefs, but it is in Arrowhead Stadium. I mean, do I think that they were maliciously trying to get the, the Bengals to lose that game? I don't think so. The Bengals did get outplayed the entire game. I mean, yes, that that one play with the Kelsey replay on third down, should that have happened? No. But again, I mean, they they made missteps, and Burrow got the ball back with two minutes to go. They easily could have got a drive, could have won that game, and they did, and they didn't. So they come, and then obviously, I don't want to keep going on that that one player who pushed him out of bounds. I mean, his momentum pushed him out of bounds. I mean, he did extend his arms, but sometimes you really can't stop yourself unless you're gonna like fall over yourself in front of everybody. But again, I mean, the Bengals did get outplayed. I still, I don't feel like it was so much. Oh, they had the game. They were in the lead, and then it was a tie game, twenty to twenty. So they could have done more. And I think the rest had some questionable calls. But again, the Bengals still lost the game themselves. You're completely right. I mean, they could have made different decisions throughout the game to get them in a better position. They could have played better overall as a team. It was a low-scoring affair really throughout the entire game. But I just was watching it with my my roommates at the time, and. It just looks so clear to me that something was was going on there for some reason. And like I said, I'm not going to sit up here and say yeah, the league is rigged, but please chime in if you felt the same way because I just was looking at these calls and they didn't make much sense. The to one me. to me that was like kind of under the radar that I think was was bad was I don't remember if it was on the last drive or the drive before that for Cincinnati. Um, Burrow got the ball out <laughs> and a good like second and a half later. Frank Clark just, like, comes up the middle and shoves him to the ground. No, no rough in the passer. Like, and they were showing the replay, and Tony Romo was just like, oh, Frank Clark with a little, I don't know, he said some, like, a little chin music there at the end. Like, he was just, like, playing it off. I'm like, how is that not rough it? And Joe Burrow is, like, on the ground looking for a call. So. It just seemed like a lot of those A lot things, of the calls did go to the Chiefs. The, like you said, the under the radar. And the holding on Eli Apple, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was close. I don't know. It just seemed like when the Chiefs finally got, you know, stopped and they finally hit a wall, their momentum finally just yeah. disintegrated. There was a call there to save the day. And whether it, that it third was, down drive, exactly. exactly. I mean, they should have turned the ball over already. 
it was just kind of ridiculous to see all of them happen side by side. If they happen throughout the game, referees do it, whatever. You don't, you're not going to get everything 100%. But to see all of that side by side in crunch time, you know, bad call after bad call. And you're right about that Burrow one, too. Connor, Connor Brown actually made a pretty good point when watching that in real time. If that happens to Patrick Mahomes, the flag's out before oh, you can even yeah. realize it. Oh, for sure. It's, it would be out of there in two seconds. And you saw it, obviously, on that late hit at the end of the game by Osai. Uh, but no call for Burrow there. It just seemed like it was tough luck. For, you know, the, the refs were saying tough luck a lot of the times to the Bengals, but if anyone did anything wrong against the Chiefs, throw that flag right away. That's how it seemed to me, at least specifically in the fourth quarters, it got towards crunch time. At the end of the day, though, a win is a win. The Chiefs are moving on to face the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl, and no matter how mad we want to be at officiating or referees, there's a big game to be played, and I want to chime in a little bit to our conversation that we had before before we move on to NFL news and rumors. What are your guys' thoughts on the big game in general? I know I got a little bit of Justin's thoughts, but do you agree with me, Aaron? I really am more intrigued with you because I think Jack, I think Jack agrees with me, but do you agree that, well, maybe Patrick Mahomes might not be able to evade this pressure of the Eagles' defensive line? Yeah, I mean, we saw it two years ago against Tampa where, you know, he was down both of his starting tackles and um, he, he had a tough time. He was really running for his life on every play, as we know. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's faced great defensive fronts before. He faced the Niners the year before that in the Super Bowl when, you know, Bosa was a rookie at that point, and that defense was, like, all-time great. This The 49ers defense this year was the best in the league, phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he has seen some all-time great defenses in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. So I, I think he's seasoned now to the point where he'll be more comfortable than maybe he was, again, you know, going up against San Francisco um, or Tampa a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it, I think it depends on really the health of his receivers because he was without uh, Miko Hardman and Juju for the game last night. So if they're both back, you know, he's got those two to throw to. Obviously, Kelsey's going to be a big part of the offense. Chiefs running game kind of intrigues me. Uh, I, I I like Pacheco. Uh, I think McKenna is is a good gadget player. So I think the Chiefs can beat you in a lot of ways offensively. I think the Eagles defense, you know, we talked about again how Hurts is going to have his toughest test trying to just match Mahomes. Uh, the Eagles defense is going to be put to the test uh, harder than they've ever been. I think you know this year as well. So uh, really full circle. You know this this. Eagles team is going to have to answer the call of duty here, but for sure, I mean, I, I think uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. They, on paper, it's a super super close matchup. I might go the Eagles just because I think there's a lot of different ways they can they can beat you, even if they don't have a great offensive game. Like we saw uh, the defense just takes advantage of every little mistake. Everything that doesn't go your way, they're on you. So. And now let me ask you this as well, and I'll kind of stop grilling you about your Eagles. Uh, Again, I think I'm very down, like, like low down on the list of Eagles haters, especially former ones who have come through this department. I don't yes. think I'm anywhere near the top. <laughs> and that's why I won't even label it as hatred, but your Eagles dislike the moment I have, because... I, I, you know, the thing with Philly teams winning for me is just the, the aftermath of dealing with, with it all. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it's hard to see another fan base have a success, man. Yeah. I don't know. It and just it, That might sound like I'm hating, but... I don't know. It, it, I feel like it's a good rivalry. Like, like, I don't know. If like 
the Vikings made the Super Bowl, it's like, okay, I'll be happy for them because it's Minnesota. But it's yeah. like, dude, you're Philly. The Eagles you know? are, you know, obviously Philadelphia market very close to New York, and you're yeah. a fan of the Jets. You're not a Giants fan, so it's not hitting as close to right. you as a lot of those fans are taking it. But you talked about how the Eagles can just beat you in so many ways. You talk about how if their offense isn't clicking, that their defense could win them a game. I have to ask you now, you said they haven't played a good quarterback. You said they haven't really had a huge test. But you think you're going to go with the Eagles in the suit in the big game. Do you think these performances are fraudulent, well, or are you just waiting for them to prove it I, against one of the top teams? Well, I'm just interested to see them go against the quarterback of that tier. Because, again, like, every, the discussion is how easy of a run they've had. Mm-hmm. So, I've, you know, of course I don't think Mahomes is, is going to lie down and just – you know, get 38 to 7 like everyone else has been or whatever the score has been. So, like, you know, I, I'll give it to the Eagles because, I don't know, and there's a lot of great storylines here. Uh, a bunch of them. A lot of great storylines. I don't know. I, I And I think just maybe the, maybe the Chiefs are a little bit better coached in terms of X's and O's maybe on paper with Andy Reid. Um but I think the Eagles also just have that slider about them with Sirianni um, at the helm, just his attitude in that building right now. Uh, I, w- I would say the Eagles, um, just because, again, like they have taken advantage, and that's what great teams do. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you have someone on your schedule, not a great quarterback, you beat the you know, H-E double hockey sticks out of them. You know yeah, what I mean? Like the wheels off. Yeah, so – I think Mahomes is going to—he's just give them a run for their money. That's that's for that's for sure. Um, I think in a close game, though, I, I can see the Eagles uh, sneak into that. I'll take that. I, you know, I'm not going to chalk it up that you think they're fraudulent or anything. I just think that no. you know where you're coming from. The talent is there. The performances have been and also, there. And also, you know, when everyone's jumping on the bandwagon of, of in the group chat. It's, it's just kind of fun to, uh, yeah, to get the men sometimes. I mean, the talent's there. The performances are there. Play a real quarterback, rye frog. Yeah. I, when you came through with that, I'm like, this guy's <laughs> just trolling at this point. But, um, no, the talent's there. The performances are there. It's just can they do it against a team in the same tier as them? And they're going to prove that in two weeks, whether or not they can do that. I really – I'm honestly 85% confident they're going to win this game. I'm not going to go as far as like 90% because we're still two weeks away. You don't know what the circumstances could be, but I'm going to go with 85% confident the Eagles win this game. Switching over real quick as we look at other NFL news and rumors not relating to the big game or the Eagles or Chiefs. We have two new hires in the National Football League. Nathaniel Hackett to the New York Jets as offensive coordinator after uh, Mike LaFleur was fired over there. And Kellen Moore to the Los Angeles Chargers Less than 24 hours after he was fired as the Cowboys' offensive coordinator, he goes and joins Justin Herbert in that really stacked offense that hasn't been able to make much out of it over in Los Angeles. I want to start first and open the dialogue with Nathaniel Hackett and just overall that move in general, the other narratives that could have around it. They're not just bringing Nathaniel Hackett in there uh, for no reason. I mean, he's still a good offensive mind. You know, you saw what he was able to do in Green Bay uh, with Aaron Rodgers, but I bring up a good point there with Sir Aaron Rodgers. His name has been tied a lot to this this signing, I guess you could say, or this hiring because, well, the Jets aren't really great at the quarterback position right now. Zach Wilson, they're looking to develop him, but they wouldn't mind a veteran quarterback, whether it be of the talent of Rodgers or of the talent of an Andy Dalton, kind of just, you know, making him a little bit more polished, getting him up to par. And if you could get a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you know, speaking for the Jets, you will. I mean, 
the price I don't think is necessarily that absurd. Listed as reportedly two first-round picks at the bare minimum for Aaron Rodgers. And so we just coincidentally have a New York Jets fan in studio today in Aaron Hook. And Aaron, I'm not going to go to you quite yet. We okay. had you on the uh, the first segment talking quite go a ahead. lot. But I want to get Jack and Justin's viewpoints on this just from an outsider's perspective. Aaron Rodgers has been tied to Nathaniel Hackett ever since he went to the Broncos before they got Russ. They thought maybe Rodgers was going there. Jack, do you think this is a real possibility? And do you think the Jets pull the trigger on a massive deal like this with all the assets they'd have to give up for, let's be honest, a guy who has three years left in the league, if that? Yeah, I mean, I think that he's probably, in my opinion, going to the Jets simply because of uh, Nathaniel Hackett and also of Joe Namath giving up his retired number to mm-hmm. give to Rodgers. So, I mean, the Jets are trying to make every desperate move they can. They try to get a veteran quarterback. They got Flacco. That didn't really work out to help Zach Wilson at all. So they need a, a guy that that is a veteran but can still play well and have some MVP caliber to him. Uh, to him. So they they're want Rodgers just to help develop Wilson. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Wilson leaves within the next few years just because of the atrocity that he's been for the New York Jets. I mean— but you you got like they're gonna rely on Rodgers for the next few years until he's done if they get him. So, but I think that they're really just trying to get, um, they're really trying to get Rodgers because of Hackett with the Packers earlier in his career. Yeah, and that's not a crazy thing to think. Obviously, that's where a lot of the ties are coming from. And who knows? You know, it could be just a few days ago, D'Amico Ryan's was rumored to be the top candidate for the Broncos job, and now it's coming out he's no longer interested at all, and the Texans are the front runner. So things shift a lot in this league, and so I would not be surprised to see next week it's Lamar Jackson is, you know, the most likely to be the New York Jets quarterback. But Justin, what are your thoughts overall on this signing of Nathaniel Hackett by the Jets? Do you think it's a good one? Do you think it's a bad one? And do you think it comes with additional baggage and possibly Aaron Rodgers? I think the signing is great. I think the Jets are a couple steps away from being a solid playoff contender. I mean, they were pretty close to making the playoffs this year. Just had pretty much a collapse at the end. But I do think if they were somehow to get Aaron Rodgers, I think their stock goes way up. I mean, I want to say Rodgers is guaranteed in the $50 range, I think, uh, if he plays in 2023, which I assume he would. I do think... Do I, am I guaranteeing that he goes to New York? Uh, mm-hmm. No, I don't. I, I think there's always a chance. I mean, with Hackett being there, I think it's definitely a better chance. I, But if somebody told me, oh, some other quarterback signs there, I wouldn't be, like, shocked. I mean, there's so many times where we're like, oh, a guy's going to go to New York, either in basketball or football, and then they don't go there. And then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, all the fans are sad. But for me, I think that Rodgers might try to go to another team. But who knows? I mean, it could be any team. Aaron Rodgers, I think a lot of teams should want to get Aaron Rodgers, even though he is on the, I won't say a decline, but he's not as great as he was in his MVP season the past couple of seasons, and even when he went to the Super Bowl 10, 12 years ago. So I think he can definitely go to New York, but if I'm New York, I would definitely want Aaron Rodgers. That's that's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to name a team that really wouldn't, that has a gape at, uh, gaping hole at quarterback that wouldn't want Aaron Rodgers, at least on a you know, a two-year tenure, whatever the case may be. And so it's finally time to talk to that New York Jets fan across the glass wall. Aaron, it's been rumored earlier on in the season about Lamar Jackson with him being a pending free agent. Now it's looking more like Aaron Rodgers with the Hackett signing. First off, I want to get your reaction just on the signing alone. If you like this one, if you think it's going to turn your offense around. But 
do you, are you buying into this Aaron Rodgers saga? And if you are, would you give up the haul that they're anticipating it's going to take? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a, a lot to consider with Rodgers. I, you know, the money part, I think, won't be as big a deal as people think because he did say that he is, like, you know, he'll re, he'll rework his contract. He'll take a little bit of a pay cut um, to help the Jets out. So, Justin's right. He's guaranteed <laughs> – He's guaranteed almost sixty million dollars this season, so he's he'll reworth that. But he's going to get his money either way. So he's very expensive. Uh, his tower or his salary cap hit is thirty million. So the Jets right now, they could cut Carl Lawson, who I wouldn't love it if they cut him. But if it takes getting Rogers, you, you could go ahead and cut him. He tore his ACL. Two years ago in camp, and this was his first full season as a Jet, was a little bit underwhelming, and you have to pay him a lot too. So cutting him wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So if they cut him and then Corey Davis, that would free up enough money to take on that cap hit. Wow. So the money kind of works out, and I think Rodgers gives you the best of, of both worlds for what you're looking for, especially this upcoming season because, you know, again, none of us know how much time Rodgers has left, but – He's obviously hinted at leaving multiple times. Uh, he's said that he's got no problem walking away. He's obviously got all the all the stuff that was going on last season uh, with, with all the COVID stuff. We know what happened. We won't get into it. But, like, yeah, I mean, I think if he's really committed to playing here for his former OC in, in Hackett, I think you absolutely do it because, again, he'll give you the MVP quarterback level of play along with being a great guy for Zach Wilson to look up to because – Zach Wilson has said multiple times that Rodgers you know, is his favorite quarterback. He tries to emulate him with all the arm motion stuff, and they do show similarities. So I think Rodgers would be a great mentor for Zach. And so, again, if it's a one-year deal, like he comes here and then he's done, he, he's he's out, um, you know, I, I think that's fine because you see, you see the development of Wilson, and you know what? If the experiment fails, the experiment – Experiment fails, man. But I think the Jets' defense in this current moment is good enough to the point where you go and get Rodgers. Um, and, again, they've got the first-round pitch to do it, so that's a testament to Joe Douglas, you know, garnering all this draft capital to now he's in the position to go get the missing piece. Because everyone has agreed that the Jets, with a quarterback of Rodgers' level, like Justin said, I, I think they're pretty easily, uh, you know, a playoff contender, so. Well, you're not wrong there. I mean, it really, as Justin said, they were uh, very close to being a playoff team. They were a quarterback that's competent away from being a playoff right. team. If Mike White has a better week that second week he starts and doesn't lose confidence, yeah. they're probably in the playoffs. I mean, even if they wind up with Derek Carr as the quarterback this year, I think they're still probably a playoff team. Yeah, you could throw a bunch of quarterbacks' right. names in there, yeah. and I would honestly agree with you. But it's just the the circumstances they kind of were in – they didn't trust Joe Flacco to get, you know, go out there and do any better, obviously, even though he looked too shabby in the beginning of the year, but that's not a permanent uh, yeah. Band-Aid, you know what I mean? So it was a tough situation for the Jets all season long. Now, before we move on just from Hackett to New York, and we'll briefly, very briefly, touch on Kellen Moore to the Chargers and how that can affect Herbert, but if you had to choose, give up a ton of money for a Lamar Jackson type and just disband the Zach Wilson project, or keep the Zach Wilson project in town and bring in Rodgers for a year or two, which one are you doing? Rodgers. Rodgers. I mean, look, 
they signed Lamar to a $200 million contract. Like, okay, so be it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll take Lamar for the next mm-hmm. five, six years. But, again, I think you get the best of both worlds because you get to have Rodgers, you get to sit Zach Wilson where a lot of people think he should have been initially to start his career, sitting on the bench, um, and, and just learning, at least for maybe uh, the first few games of his rookie year, and not just thrown into the fire um, like they did to quarterbacks before him. You know, case in point, Sam Darnold. Uh, so, like, I, I think giving him a chance to really reset, because they've said, oh, we're giving Zach a chance to reset by benching him or when he's been hurt. They're like, oh, so this is his chance. No, because that's in the midst of a season where he's still expected to, at some point, get back to the point of, of you know, being able to start. Now you give him a real chance to just sit behind A-Rod and watch this guy who he's looked up to and obviously has taken things from. Now he gets to actually be in the building with him and learn from him um, and pick his brain and all that. So I would definitely go the Rodgers route. But, look, if Lamar's a Jet tomorrow, like, I'm not going to complain. So. Yeah, and you can't really lose either way. And I see where you're coming from because you get a guy that will give you Competitive football. Just not Jimmy years. G. Just not Jimmy G. You know what? You're not a big Jimmy G fan. No, no, no. Don't give me Jimmy G. All right. No. I mean, yeah, Come you're on. not lying. The system made him pretty well. Yeah. Or made him look pretty well. Or oh, cannot speak today. Made him look pretty good. Uh, the offense kind of functioned pretty well, I guess you could say. And so. I don't see him doing that in New York Jets offense, to be honest. I think they need a complete difference maker to really tap into that offense, but we'll see. I mean, as we've just talked about, a quarterback away from a playoff berth in a year, everyone thought they would maybe crack four or five wins. is pretty impressive. So they have a nice culture they can build upon, and we'll see what does happen with the quarterback situation over in New York. I do want to talk about the quarterback situation at a different franchise really quickly. Kellen Moore, less than 24 hours after being fired, from the Dallas Cowboys' offensive coordinator. He lands in what used to be the San Diego Chargers, now the Los Angeles Chargers, as their OC. And this is interesting to me because I've heard a lot of mixed opinions and, uh, you know, overall just people not sure how to feel about it. Some people feel like Herbert's going to become that winner he was supposed to be with the pieces he has on offense. Some think this is a terrible move by the, the Chargers just because of how the Cowboys' offense looked this year. Very briefly before we go to break and get to our top five segment, I'll start with you, Justin. What are your thoughts on Kellen Moore to the Chargers? Is it going to hurt them more than it's going to benefit them? What do you think? I don't think it'll hurt them. I think, again, I mean, we talked about that, that um, the comeback with the Jaguars and how Herbert could have stepped up a couple plays. But I think they'll still be a good playoff. Like I don't know about a tender. They'll definitely make the playoffs, I think, next season. Uh, I do think that they're not too many – steps away from being in the conference championship game. But I think Kellen Moore, I mean, he didn't have a – I mean, obviously the Dallas Cowboys were in the playoffs. But I don't think that he was so good that the offense was number one in the NFL or anything like that. But I do think the Chargers can probably be a top five team. I mean, they were a top five, I think, this year in the AFC. So I think they'll stay around the same. I don't think it's more benefiting or more hurting their team. I think it'll be just around the same as this year. I talked to my friend who's a Cowboys fan, and as soon as he saw this, he was kind of shocked to see that people were even mentioning that Herbert's going to look much better with Morris' offensive coordinator just because he went through the experience this year. Now, don't get me wrong, he was a huge Kellen Moore supporter last year, saying his offense looked great. One bad year, and now it's kind of you know in the trash, down in the dumps. And he said that he really his narrative of hurt or 
pardon me, Herbert is not a winner is going to stay true with Kellen Moore there because of all these short plays he would run for short gains and trick plays he would try to pull off against certain teams. Jack, how do you feel about Kellen Moore? I mean, you've seen him as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and now he's going to your other team, yeah. the Los Angeles Chargers, <laughs> so you'll see him every single game you see for the Chargers. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about this signing as a partial Chargers fan, and what have you seen from him that you might like uh, you know, after being an Eagles fan facing him all these years? Well, I think that what's going to be nice is I think that Eckler is going to come out more as a really predominant running back because he was able to, uh, to develop Pollard more, and Pollard is a guy that can catch and run. And that's and that's literally Eckler. So yeah. I think that Eckler's going to get more involved in this offense, I mean, more than he already is, but I don't think we're going to see Herbert throwing for 50 times a game. Yeah. So this is, in my opinion, a great thing just because you don't have to put all the pressure on Justin Herbert. And, I mean, he's won a lot of games. I mean, you don't, like, i got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, because he's won a lot of games for the Cowboys. I mean, they haven't gone far, but they've won a lot of games. So I think that they're, they're record-wise, I think they can win more. Uh, by a slight margin, but um, I think that uh, Austin Eckler is going to be honestly the face of this franchise other than Justin Herbert because he's going to be more involved in this offense with uh, Moore as their offensive coordinator. We'll see. I mean, I think that, as I mentioned before, he ran a pretty good offense last year, and I mean, there was a reason he was top of everyone's boards to be a head coaching candidate and to possibly leave the Cowboys to take another job. But this year, it didn't go the same way. Now, a lot of that could be on Mike McCarthy. It's certainly not on Dan Quinn. That defense looked tremendous this year. Aaron, what's your reaction to Kellen Moore to Los Angeles as offensive coordinator? How do you feel in general about them signing him so quickly, first off? I mean, like yeah. it, I said less than 24 hours. might be less than 12 hours after he was fired. And also, do you think he can tap into uh, <coughs> Herbert's abilities a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I think for me, it's surprising or maybe not so surprising depending on like how you looked at it that uh I, I, someone said it in the in the group chat Moore was the first one out of Dallas and not Mike McCarthy who I mean has been it's it's known at this point that like it's not really that good of a coach mm -hmm. uh very talented roster there in Dallas and obviously offensively um they have a, they have a lot of weapons as well Kellen Moore you know could make it work as well as he did the last couple of years so he was the one who, you know, ended up being the scapegoat. But, uh, yeah, I do think, like Jack said, I, I think he's got potential to really kind of unlock uh, Eckler in the run game. Uh, and then, you know, obviously he was able to develop C.D. Lamb after Amari Cooper leaves into a true number one. Everyone was kind of, like, on that. Like, sometimes everyone's like, oh, this guy's going to break down and have a big year. But you still got to steam him open, you know what I mean? And so yeah. he was able to do that a lot this year. Got C.D. involved with a lot of those, like, you were talking about like the jet sweeps and around stuff like that. Used him creatively, so we'll see what he does with their Chargers receiving core. And yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty fun offense that's here for sure. I don't know if this like takes the Chargers over the hump uh, or anything, or like you know gets them to the next level where they're competing for the AFC. But uh, I, I think it's a good move to you know at least maybe raise Herbert and that offense's ceiling a little bit. They're going to need the receivers to stay healthy, that's for sure. Keenan yeah. Allen battled the injury bug. Mike, Mike Williams. Williams battled the injury bug. And then Eckler had the usage rate he did because of those. So, you know, as Jack mentioned, we could see Eckler kind of in a different role this year. Not as, uh, I would say, dominant in the passing game if they can keep those receivers healthy, but definitely is, you know, more so a mix of the two with a new offensive coordinator, hopefully brewing up some better schemes for not only Eckler, but everyone on that offense. It'll be interesting to see because everyone always talks about how this team has all the potential and the talent in the world. 
They just need to put it together, and uh, we'll see if Kellen Moore can do that. With that being said, we'll take a very brief step off here on Offsides, and I'm actually going to forego the top five segment for today. I apologize for having wow. you, for having you all make a list, but I mean, with a man who was at the Lakers Celtics game in the building, fraud. Give me a break. <laughs> with a man who was at the Lakers Celtics game in the building, I think we have to discuss that. Okay, when that's back fair. From break. That's so fair. we're going to talk about the LeBron no foul call and really another referee blunder over this past weekend when we come back from break right here on RowanRadio.com Channel 2. Join me, Gina, every Sunday from 7 to 10 a.m. for the Sunday Sounds of Music. I'll bring you all the toe-tapping hits of the Great White Way that will have you singing along in no time. Who wants to sing show tunes? Plus, I'll have Broadway news, blocks of Broadway, and tickets to some of the hottest shows around. That's the Sunday Sounds of Music with me, Gina, every Sunday, right here on your station for the Broadway music that matters, Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. To buy your home, you became a house hunting ace. Learned about loans, scoured neighborhoods, and asked the right questions. Now you're queen of your castle. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll feel empowered to own your retirement like you own your home. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to clearing financial hurdles, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You're tuned in to Offsides, our live professional sports talk show right here on RowanRadio.com, Channel 2. I'm your host, Danny Ryan. Joined alongside my broadcast partners, Jack Miller, Justin Locke, and Aaron Hook today as we finish off this episode of Offsides with a brief discussion about the National Basketball Association. And we can talk about NBA and Jokic plenty of different episodes and uh, a lot of times in the near future, but I really want to hone in and skip over the Nuggets-Sixers game and talk about the Celtics and Lakers game. That one was obviously the night game. Started, I believe, around 8 o'clock, 8, 8.30, something like that, and it was a very good game. Anthony Davis was back. Rui Hachimura got some important minutes for the Lakers, and it was a lot more competitive than people would have thought Celtics versus Lakers would have been, and it literally came down to the final possession for the Lakers. LeBron drives to the paint, goes up for a layup, Left-handed layup, and his left wrist is slapped. No call. Does a hissy fit on the court? Understandably so, um, or rightfully so. And, uh, well, no call. Still, Pat Bev grabs a very, very expensive camera and shows the referees <laughs> that that was a foul. And the fact that he was even able to find a camera that had an up-close <laughs> view of the foul, too, is just crazy to me. But briefly, guys, just take me through your initial reaction if you – you know, either watching it live, saw it in social media because it went viral everywhere, not only the Pat Bev clip, but the no foul. When are these refs going to improve at some point? I mean, I saw the two-minute report for that game. There were seven blown calls just in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was it was bad. I mean, for me, um, I've always been a thing, like going back to football, I've always been a thing of reviewing PIs. I've always thought that would be reviewable ever since the Rams and Saints situation. Mm -hmm. So I've always thought that, a lot of officiating calls should be reviewed, not like if a catch or 
if uh, or something else in any sport um, should be like reviewed. Like refs need to be reviewed too because all humans make mistakes at some point. And as you said, seven uh, blown calls in one quarter. I mean, that's that's pretty much that's pretty insane. So I mean, the, they should be able to like coaches should be able to challenge a ref's call and review it as a whole. So. And the Lakers probably would have been successful if they saw. It. I mean, Pat Bev tried to do his own review thing with the camera. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I've always thought that they they should review calls. But um, I don't, I'll hear what these two have to say about the whole thing. Justin, what's your opinion just overall? And by the way, that wasn't even the fourth quarter. That was the final two minutes of the fourth quarter. They missed Jeez. seven calls. Yeah, that's, that's it's that's unbelievable. Insane. Yeah, I mean, me I watched the game and I I just I was so. I had so many questions. I mean, Eric Lewis. I I mean, I've I've seen so many tweets about oh his record uh, favors the Celtics. His family's a Celtics fan. It's like I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and say he rigged the game, for, but it could definitely be looking like that. I mean, that last call was pretty obvious. I mean, I I mean Pat Bev was going off in the last two minutes of the game. I mean, he did miss he a free throw in that last like I think 30 seconds. The putback dunk. Putback dunk oh was absolutely amazing and. Uh, there, there was another play. I mean, in that quarter, in the last ten seconds, I think Jalen Brown gets a late call that gives him a free throw to tie the game, and then obviously LeBron gets fouled after that. But again, like with the Lakers team, they're only a couple games away from like the fourth, fifth seed, and they got cheated out of a game against the Sixers this year, where Russ was clearly touched by Embiid with ten seconds to go, and they got they lost that one, and then another game against the Kings. I mean, so they would have got three more wins. This Lakers team's the sixth, seventh seed, and they have so much more potential. I mean, now AD's back, and this this Boston game. I mean, this is the second time this year that Boston has beat LA in overtime, and both times Lakers sh- should have won the game. And we can blame their officiating, but I mean, I just think they should get fined or something. I don't know why it's not like a a thing. They're always they always send out this little tweet that oh we messed up, but it's like you just cost <laughs> the team a game. I mean, it, I don't know what else. Did you see the one yes or whatever for the game? They were like. Right. We we can't sleep at night thinking about these mistakes. Yeah, like, it's like, dude, you're sleeping like a baby, bro. They sent that tweet like, out. Stop it. They sent that tweet out, and they literally poured a drink after him. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's just it's. They're probably laughing when they said that sleep. Like, can't sleep at night. Give me a break. You're very. I get it. You're apologetic that you missed the call, but if you're gonna blame it on you know referees every day, they miss stuff that is just naked to the human eye. Then whatever. You know, I get it. You're everyone's human. Everyone's gonna make mistakes. Then adapt the game to where it's possible to challenge something like that that late in the game. If one, you want to, just in general, because even if they didn't have a cha- or even if they, pardon me, did have a challenge thing, uh, challenge attempt, it would be tough to kind of use it in that situation because the refs literally were sending it to overtime as fast as they could. I mean, you would have to stop the play in general. But two, if he's already been successful in a challenge the head coach uh, is who I'm speaking of, let him retain the challenge. Yeah. It happens in every other sport. Well, why does that happen? That if you challenge a call and you get it right, you can't keep it. Well, it's gone for the NBA. And also, the reason why they had to use the challenge was because Anthony Davis puts his hand straight up against Jason Tatum and they call it a foul. And that was ridiculous, too. That's another, that's another horrible that call. Too. So they would have had a challenge right in the go. I mean, again, you never know. Maybe something happens in between. But let's just say for you know hypothetical sake – they would have had that challenge ready to go 
Just they they wouldn't have had to use it on that on that dumb call against AD. It's just and it all goes back to bad calls leading up to no, you know not having that challenge attempt because they used the challenge they were successful but for some reason the NBA says no let's not reward head coaches for getting something right in a replay let's strip them of their challenge so they can't do it again and show up our referees again yeah. I, that's the you know Silver's done a great job with the league but I don't get the referees at all it's clear as day especially that one where you slap him on the left wrist. And just no call. It, it was brutal. And um, they had a ref sitting on the baseline right there looking at it. Like I just, yeah. I just don't get how you don't. See That's it. what I was so confused about. There was literally a ref within five feet of the play, and you don't see it. You can, he could probably could have heard the slap at that rate. So you heard the slap on, on like on yeah. TV. Like <laughs> the mics picked it up. Like <laughs> it's getting ridiculous, and that's why you know, as Justin said, he's not going to sit here and say the game was rigged. But you're also not going to sit here and act like nothing fishy is happening. It's just gotten to the point where you have to make a move at this point through the NBA. Give you know head coach two challenge attempts. Give a head coach his challenge back if he gets it right. Whatever the case may be, make it so the instant replay is more accessible in these moments. It's you know I've never really heard honestly. I didn't know for certain that that was a rule that if you got a challenge right, you were stripped of it regardless in the yeah. NBA. Who who just brewed that up at night in the CBA and was like, yeah. This is the one. Like, you know, <laughs> let, let's not reward a guy for getting a challenge successful. It's just oh, crazy, especially when a game is decided just how that one was. They go to overtime. The Celtics win it, and you saw the reaction from Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Don't know what to do. I mean, we were cheated tonight, and it's as plain as that. This one hurts, and they went from five straight wins to now four and six in their last ten. It's backbreaking and for a team. We like said that. it on N one. They need, like, they need every game, they you know, which is – Again, I mean, the West is really tight, but they're still outside the play-in. So, you know, to go up against the you know team with the best record in the league and lose like that, you know, obviously it, it just hurts even more. And yeah. at the same time, too, it's not a bad roster over there in Los Angeles. Sure, they are very injury-prone, and Russell Westbrook can make some dumb decisions at times. But when you have arguably the greatest player of all time with a power forward that if he can stay healthy is a top-five big man in the league, Plus, some pretty decent role players around them. This team, at fully healthy all season, or at full health all season long, could easily be a five or six seed right now in the West yeah. that has been underperforming. So, right. you know, a costly call that cost them the win and really just opened a lot of eyes around the NBA refereeing and officiating, and uh, hopefully the league takes some action soon. But with that being said, it'll just about wrap things up here on this Monday edition of Offsides. Once again, I've been here alongside Justin Locke, Aaron Hook, and Jack Miller. I'm Danny Ryan, your host every single Monday, Rowan Radio Sports Director, signing off saying thank you so much for tuning in and have a great rest of your week, everyone. You've been listening to Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. Tune in next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.